0: Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Isn't it good to worship God together? Amen? I mean, it's just, I don't know about you, but um, if you haven't known this or realized this, we are actually called to worship God every minute of every single day. We're called to go out when you are working, when you are talking with somebody, when you are getting ready to go to sleep, when you are getting ready to go to work, when you're in the line to get your coffee that will help you survive work uh, that day. Uh, We are supposed to be and entirely commanded to worship God every single minute. But there's something special about coming together as a group and worshiping God publicly, corporately as a church together. I was explaining this to my, uh, my daughter and my son yesterday, and I said, well, tomorrow's church, you know, tomorrow's Sunday, so we're going to go to church. And then I reminded myself that I need to remind them that going to church is not something that we can do. We say go to church, but we can't do that because church is not a place, and it has never been a service, and it has never been a set time, and it has never been a location, The church has always been and will always be a group of people who are sold out for Jesus. That's what a church is, and that's what we are. And so I hope that we are here not only just to worship together today, but that we're here to worship and get ready to worship as we go into our week. So uh, those of you that are brand new here, welcome. We're glad to have you here. We're glad that you're checking us out. We want you to know that this is a safe place for you. No matter who you are, no matter where you're at with God, even if you're at the place where you'd say, I don't even know if I believe anything that you just said about the church. I don't know if I even believe in God. That's okay. We hope that at some point in the near future, in the far future, at some point that you would come to understand and realize that God loves you and that he always has and he always will and that he is real and he desires a relationship with you. But this is a safe place for you to ask questions. To discover that. So I want to ask you a question. Have you ever noticed that uh, sometimes people are defined by what they do in life? Have you noticed that? Especially people that are famous, especially people that are in the public uh, eye all the times, uh, all the time, or, or have been, that they are defined at least in our hearts and our minds, they are defined, even though maybe we shouldn't do this, but they are defined by what they do, what they spend their time and energy on. For example, let me give you a few examples. For example, this guy, Chuck Norris. He has become synonymous with tough guy stares, roundhouse kicks, and a whole internet sensation of Chuck Norris facts. You guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? Because you probably have heard them. If you go on the Internet, you can find not one, but many websites that are dedicated to Chuck Norris' toughness, literally. Now, admittedly, I'm just giving you a warning. I do not support a lot of those facts because many of them are inappropriate. Because as I was thinking about this, I decided to look some up, and I thought, oh, these are some of the, these are bad. <laughs> but I want to share with you a couple of them that are not inappropriate, and they are kind of funny. But these are things that Chuck Norris did not ask for, but because of who he is and because of the roles that he has played in movies and in TV shows, they are just a persona that people think about when they think of Chuck Norris. Let me give you a couple of these funny facts that are not facts, but are funny anyway. Chuck Norris doesn't read books. He stares at them until he gets the information he wants. That's pretty good stuff. Let me give you one more. People wanted to add Chuck Norris to Mount Rushmore, but the granite was not tough enough for his beard. That's pretty good stuff. I could read quite a few of these, but I won't bore you with them. But the truth is that sometimes we have a persona and we are defined by what we did in life. Let me give you another example. This is going to be very generational, but let me show you a symbol. Who does this represent? Who does it represent? Michael Jordan, his airness, right? Air Jordan. Now a lot of us in here, there would be a few of us in here who would say, who's that? I know that that seems unlikely, but it's true. But this symbol, we know this celebrates and this imitates Michael Jordan. When I say Michael Jordan, what is the very next thing you think of? Basketball, right? Obviously, You don't think of like, you know, oh, he has this many kids, or this is who he's married to, or this is how tall he is. or No, you know what we think of? When I say Michael Jordan, automatically, basketball. Automatic. You don't have to think about it. When I say, it's kind of like the psychologist. Okay, what do you see in this picture? When I say Daisy, what do you think? When I say flower, what do you, you know, right? I mean, when I say Michael Jordan, you think basketball. You don't have to think about it it's because he's synonymous with it. Let me give you one more example. Hey, let me show you one more picture. This is a little bit more uh, up to speed. Who's this guy? Go ahead and say it out loud. Who is this? Sheldon. But that's not his name, is it? Does anybody know his name? Jim Parsons. Thank you. We got two of you that know. That's what I thought. I knew, I figured somebody would know. I I figured we'd have somebody know because he's very famous. But we think of him, when we see him, we think Sheldon. The the truth is, he's never going to get away from that. (laughs) We all know that. When anybody sees him, they're going to call him Sheldon. That's just how it's going to be. Why? Because he played the role so well. His name is synonymous, and his face is synonymous with Sheldon from the TV show. The truth is that whether we like it or not, our lives are defined by who we are and what we do. And we have a huge role to play in that because we choose what we do. So today we're going to continue our series that we've been in called Hidden Heroes. And we're going to talk about this dynamic. And I want to ask ask you the question. I want you to ask the question. I want you to consider this question. There's going to be more questions, of course. You know how I roll. But this first question is very simply, what defines you? Have you ever thought about it? What defines your life? Where's your life headed? Where's your life pointing? If people look at your life, what do they see? Who, Who do they know? What defines you? Well, in order to answer that question... And get the answers that we need, I want to look at a hidden hero as we've been looking at this whole series. And this hidden hero is somebody that we've probably heard of, but we don't know very much about. In fact, my guess is you know his name, and you know what he did in life because of his name. And my guess is a lot of us probably don't know much beyond that. The guy we're going to look at today is John the Baptist. Again, you're like, oh, yeah, I've heard of John the Baptist. Good, what did he do? Uh, I think he baptized people, right? Because his name is John the Baptist, and you would be right on that. He is John the Baptist, and he did baptize people, but the reason I want to talk about him and the fact that he's a hero is not because he baptized people. He's a hero because of why he baptized people. And I want to focus on that for a little bit. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. If you'd like to follow along, go ahead and turn there. I know we didn't give you scripture on your, uh, on your handout today. Sorry about that. Uh, some of you are like, you know, the, the earth is going to open up and swallow us because the scripture's not on there. I get that. We change things up here at Northridge from time to time. It's just the way that it is. Don't worry, it'll come back. But Matthew chapter 3 is where we're going to be. And I want to get into this chapter because this chapter tells us a little bit about who John the Baptist is, what he does, and what he's about. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I want to read a few picked out verses. So Matthew chapter 3, we're going to start with verse 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was... Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Skip down to verse 11. This is John the Baptist speaking himself now. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be a slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I want to skip another verse and go down to verse 13. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk Jesus out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done. For we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. Now from this chapter, and I didn't read all of it, obviously, I read just a few verses, but from this chapter and from especially the verses I read to you, we learn a couple of things or a few things about John the Baptist that we need to take notice of. In fact, there are two things, very specifically, that we learn from John the Baptist's example and his life that you and I definitely need to learn, we need to understand, and we need to live according to. And let me just tell you, this first one is really exciting, this first point. And that first point is this, it's not about you. See, isn't that exciting? (laughs) Aren't you guys just, man, I'm glad I got out of bed this morning for that one. You are so encouraging. It's not about you. (laughs) Woo! Let's go take the world. Right? But the truth is, it's not about you. It's not about me. And from John the Baptist's life, we see that this is true. Let me go back and read what I just read. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, what was his message? Repent of your sins and turn to God. In other words, surrender yourself to God who is much better and bigger and can bring you salvation. Surrender, repent, turn from yourself and give yourself to God. Verse 11, I baptize with water, John says, those who repent of their sins and turn to God, who realize that it's not about them, but it's about God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. In other words, what John is trying to say is it's not about me. You see me, I'm baptizing all these people. People are coming in in by tens and by hundreds and even maybe, we don't know, by thousands. They're coming to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is constantly saying, but it's not about me. There's somebody coming who's far greater than me. In fact, so great, I can't even carry his sandals. (laughs) I am nothing compared to him. In other words, John is saying it's not about me. You guys have probably heard of this book. It's called The Purpose-Driven Life. I don't know if you know this, but it's the only book second to the Bible that's been translated in more languages. The Bible's been translated into the most languages of any book in all of history. It's also sold more, the Bible has. The Purpose Driven Life is right behind, it. it's in second. Now, it's kind of a distant second, but it's behind it. Purpose Driven Life, you know what the first four words of Rick Warren's book is? It's really what made him famous. It's not about you. That's how his book starts. I don't know about you, but some people, I'm sure, have read that, and they put the book down and never touched it again. Because they're like, uh, who are you to say it's not about me? You don't know me. I'm awesome. Right? But but the truth is, it's not about you. And and that's what he starts with. And and, and he talks about this. So so here's my next question. Right? Because that's how I kind of think. I think in terms of questions. If it's not about you and it's not about me, definitely not about me. If it's not about us, then who is it about? Well, I think we know the answer to that, right? It's about Jesus. It always has been, and it will always be about Jesus. And here's a paradox. And I don't know if you uh, have heard a lot of paradoxes, but the Bible has a ton of paradoxes. Paradoxes are, this is not the correct definition, but this is Brent definition, okay? So I'm just, I, I like to clarify so that when you try to share this with somebody else, they'll look at you like, where in the world did you hear that? oh, it's my pastor. He's crazy. It's fine. But let me just tell you what really what I kind of see a paradox is. A paradox is something that is absolutely true, but it doesn't seem like it can be true. That's what a paradox is. A paradox is something that seems to be at odds with each other, but it's not. It's true. Let me give you one of the most powerful and true paradoxes that is presented in the Bible and to us as followers of Christ. It is this tandem understanding that it's not about you, yet God sent his one and only son Jesus to die on a cross and rose from the grave and suffered and bled and sacrificed himself for you. So God kind of made it about you but it's not about you. Isn't that a weird paradox? It's not about you. It never has been, and it's never going to be. I'm sorry. Yet God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you. So it's kind of about you, but it's not about you. (laughs) Is your mind spinning yet? It's called a paradox. Because both of those things are actually true and they actually do work together. But it truly is not about you. Let me me try to clear this up with a little scripture. Colossians chapter one, verses 15 and 16. Listen to what this says and what this tells us about the origin of you and me and the earth and God and Jesus. Okay, listen to what it says. It says, Christ, Jesus, is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus existed before anything was created. Did you know that? Jesus didn't like start existing when he was sent to earth as a baby. He existed before the planets, before the universe. Jesus has always existed. That's what it's saying. He existed before anything and was created and is supreme, uh, was created and is supreme over all creation. So in other words, he existed before creation and he is supreme over all creation. For through him, through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Did you realize there's things that we can't see in this world? It's the spirit world. Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. If I were to just sum this up, what it's saying is, it's always been about Jesus and it's always going to be about Jesus. That's really what these two verses are saying. It's always been about Jesus and and it always will be. Let me go to the purpose-driven life to kind of help because I don't know about you, but that still is tough language to get, right? I don't know about you, but okay, Jesus existed before time, like nobody created him. So how did that, how did he start? He didn't start. Does that hurt in your brain? does me, right? It's kind of like when I'm trying to do math, it hurts right? And, and, and so let me, let me go to The Purpose Driven Life and tell you how Rick Warren describes this, because I think he has a very powerful way to describe this. I just want to read a little portion from, uh, from an excerpt from his book when he's talking about this dynamic of our purpose and our origin. Listen to what he says. Rick Warren writes, contrary to what many popular books, movies, and seminars tell you, you won't discover your life's meaning by looking within yourself. Oh, man, does that dig against our culture today. Find your strength, your inner strength. Let's all sit down and find it. They're not going to. They might be lying to themselves and saying they did, but they didn't. You know how I know? Because it's not in there. That's what he's saying. Now listen to what he says. You won't discover your life's meaning by looking within yourself. You probably tried that already. A lot of people have. A lot of people do. You didn't create yourself, so there is no way you can tell yourself what you were created for. If I handed you an invention you had never seen before, you wouldn't know its purpose, and the invention itself wouldn't be able to tell you either. Only the creator or the owner's manual could reveal its purpose. Isn't that true? It's true. Now listen to how he goes on, and he uses an illustration. This is a great illustration. Rick Warren says, I once got lost in the mountains. When I stopped to ask for directions to the campsite that he was trying to get to, I was told, you can't get there from here. You must start from the other side of the mountain. I get this because I've been in the mountains a lot, and this is true. Sometimes you literally can't get there from a certain side of the mountain. Sometimes you have to go all the way back around. And so that's what they told them. In the same way, he says, you cannot arrive at your life's purpose by starting with a focus on yourself. Oh man, that digs into our culture. You must begin with God, your creator. You exist only because God wills that you exist. You are made by God and for God. And until you understand that, life will never make sense. Life will never make sense. It is only in God that we discover our origin, our identity, our meaning, our purpose, our significance, and our destiny. Every other path leads to a dead end. All that is a fancy way, and a really cool way, by the way, to say it's not about you. It's all about Jesus. It always has been. So, Maybe you're sitting there and going, okay, you've hammered the point. I, I, it's not about me. So the next logical question I think we must ask is, so what do we do with that? Do we just wallow in self-pity? And be like, my pastor said it's not about me. I'm just going to stay in bed all day because it's just not about me. All right, is that what we need to do? Or what what is it that we need to do? What should our life be about? What should we do with this understanding? If it's not about you and it's not about me, it's not about us, then what should our life be about in that case? I think that's a good question. question. The answer to that question is we have to go back to John the Baptist and see what it was about for him. And what did John the Baptist do? Let me give you the point and then I'll go to the scripture again so that we can kind of pull this out. But the point is this. If it's not about you and it's about Jesus, what do we need to do? Well, then our life, everything we do in life needs to point to Jesus. Right? If it's not about me and I'm constantly pointing at me saying, look at me, I'm amazing. And I know we don't do that. I don't walk into the room and say, I am God's gift to you guys. Thank you. You you don't need to clap. Oh, you weren't clapping? Well, you probably should, but whatever. I'm here. right? We don't do that, but sometimes we live like it, don't we? As if we are God's gift to whoever. And the truth is that we do have incredible worth and value that God has placed within us, but not value in and of ourselves that we can find within ourselves. It's because of our Creator that we have that value that was given to us. And so we need to use our lives to point to Jesus. Let's go back and look at verse 11. John says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. Again, he's pointing to Jesus. So much greater that I'm not. we even worthy even to be his slave, pointing to Jesus. Or carry his sandals, pointing to Jesus. He will baptize you, pointing to Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with fire, pointing to Jesus. He, you could not spend any time with John the Baptist and kind of think, oh, wow, this guy's full of himself. Nope. You didn't get that with John the Baptist. You knew with spending a few seconds with John the Baptist, this guy is all about this other guy. It's all he does. It's all he talks about. He's about this Jesus guy. I don't even know this Jesus guy, but he's all about him. How do they know that? Because everything John the Baptist did pointed to Jesus. Everything. Go to verse 13 through 15. And by the way, Remember, Jesus comes to John the Baptist and John, he's been trying to point to Jesus, point to Jesus. Everybody look at Jesus. Everybody look at Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes to John into the river, into the Jordan River. And Jesus is standing right there. John has been talking about this guy the whole time. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and he walks into the river and he says, John, I need you to baptize me. This, This is what happens. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. (laughs) John's like, no, Jesus, you're the one of honor. You're the one we need to look at. He says, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. I need to be honored by you. You're the guy. I don't baptize you. You baptize me. I've been telling, by the way, Jesus, I've been telling them that you're going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We need to show the people that you can do that, right? It doesn't seem right for me to baptize you. You're Jesus. He's kind of pushing back. Oh, and by the way, this is just a quick side note. I know you guys got a handout in your handout. Handout in your handout, right? It's one of those. A lot of paradoxes today. And in there, it talks about baptism. And my guess is some of you that encouraged you, some of you that scared you, some of you that offended you. Because baptism is scary. It really is. Because it forces you to put yourself out there and say, Yep, I'm a follower of Jesus and I want everybody to know it. But do you know what happened in the New Testament anytime somebody came to Christ? I mean, literally, anytime somebody came to Jesus, anytime somebody gave their life to Jesus, you know what happened immediately after? They got baptized. I mean, it was like accepted Jesus, where's the water? Except to Jesus, find the water. Except to Jesus, let's dunk him in the water. Done. So what we do. And let me just give you this understanding, because a lot of people would say, well, it's not commanded to be baptized. You would be maybe sort of right and maybe really sort of wrong. Because my point is, if the Son of God, who never sinned, literally perfect in every way, never sinned, had the opportunity to sin many times, never did. If Jesus responds to John, did you notice how Jesus responded to John when John says, no, I can't baptize you. And Jesus says, no, we need to do this. We have to do this because I need to do this to fulfill all that God, what, requires. Not that God asks, like, hey, if you could clean up your room, that'd be great. No, no, no. All that God requires, God requires baptism. It's the next step once you've given your life to Christ. And see, I I think, I don't know, but one thing in our culture, one thing that kind of has a strike against baptism, and just so you know, we baptized a ton of people already at Northridge. I think we baptized like 14 people last year. Just last year. God is doing amazing things, guys. It's awesome. So I'm not harping on this because I haven't seen this or because you guys haven't responded. You guys have. But let me just tell you that that baptism, I think, flies in the face of our idea that our faith needs to be very quiet and private. You guys know I've harped on this before. Your faith, your relationship with Jesus absolutely must be personal. Personal. But it was never designed to be private. Should it be special to you? Yes. Is it unique to you? Yes. Do you have the same relationship with Jesus that I have? No. And that's great. But it was also never designed to be private. Baptism is one, only one of thousands of ways for us to go public in our faith. And Jesus himself did it, even though he didn't need to. But he did, because it's all that God requires. Notice, what's interesting is Jesus is pointing to his heavenly father when he got baptized. Because he's saying, it's not about me even. Jesus said, it's not even about me, it's about God. It's about my heavenly father who wants to save everybody. And so I'm going to get baptized as well, even though he didn't need to in terms of spiritual salvation. Oh, and by the way, baptism doesn't save you. It's simply an example of what Jesus has already done for you. So I will just say this. If you've never been baptized, let God speak to you about it. He may or may not be telling you to, but just allow God to, to speak to you on it. And whatever he's saying, respond. Respond to whatever that is. Now, the truth is that all through God's word, we see from front cover to back cover in the Bible, people are constantly pointing to Jesus, pointing to God. Let me give you three quick examples. Let's go back to the book of Daniel, Old Testament. Daniel is a wise man, an advisor to the king. And the king of that empire asks a completely impossible task. His task is this. He has this incredibly crazy, weird dream. And he wakes up the next morning. And I don't know if the king had something bad to eat the night before and he was just in a bad mood or whatever it was. But he goes out and he sits in his court and he goes to all of his wise men. Daniel was not there at that moment. I don't know where he was, but he wasn't there. And so he goes to all of his other sorcerers and magicians and astrologers and wise advisors and all that stuff. And he says, listen. I want you to do something. I want you to tell me what my dream was that I had last night. I'm not going to tell you my dream. I want you to tell me my dream, and then I want you to interpret it for me. <laughs> How many of you, if you're a wise man or an astrologer, you're going, what? You want me to tell, me, tell you what your dream was and then interpret it? Just tell me your dream, and then I'll tell you what it means. <laughs> the king was smarter than that. He's like, no, no, I know you guys are, yeah, you, you're faking it. And so I want to test this. And, and so that when they do that, and then all the people, they say, King, we can't do this. This is literally impossible. We absolutely can't do this. You know what he says? He issues a decree that all of the astrologers, magicians, sorcerers, they're all going to be executed. That's, that's his next word. And so Daniel's like, oh, man, this is bad. Because Daniel's one of those guys. He's going to be executed, even though he wasn't at the, in the palace at that moment. And so he says, hey, let me go talk to the king. And so he goes before the king, and he's going interp- to not only interpret the dream, but he's going to tell the king his dream, even though the king has told nobody. This is what Daniel says before he tells him the dream and interprets it. Listen to what he says. Daniel says, or replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. In other words, what is he saying? What is he saying? What Daniel's saying to the king is, listen, I am not smart enough. I am not good enough. There is no way, no way that I should know your dream and should be able to tell you what it means. So when I do, it's good stuff. When I do, I want you to understand where the power comes from. It's not me, it's God. Clearly, he's pointing to God. Joseph does the same thing. Go back to the book of Genesis. Same thing. Joseph is in front of the Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, Hey, I have this dream. I need you to interpret it. And Joseph, he knows he's going to have to put up or, or kind of you know, do something. But this is what he says to the king right before he interprets it It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Let me give you one more example. Jump to the New Testament. Jesus has come and gone. He already died on the cross, rose again, ascended to heaven, okay? Paul, the apostle Paul and the apostle Barnabas are rolling around all the different communities telling everybody they can find about Jesus. In other words, they're pointing to Jesus, pointing to, you guys should accept Jesus. You need Jesus. Jesus saves, okay? And they end up in this one community where Paul, this guy uh, is there and he's crippled. He's been crippled for a very long time. His muscles don't even work because he's been crippled for so long, so many years. And Paul heals him. The community is astounded, clearly. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. I want to read what happens next. It says, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, this miraculous healing, they shouted in their local dialect, their own language, these men are gods in human form.'" they decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. In other words, they literally, have you heard of Zeus? Have you heard of Hermes from Greek mythology? Yeah, these people worshiped these gods as real divine beings. And so now Paul and Barnabas, they thought that one of them was Zeus and one of them was Hermes. They're like, there's the only way to explain this is you are Zeus and you're Hermes. In other words, These are gods. These are our gods right here amongst us. Hey, that's that's what they're saying. Now, the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town. So the priests of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. They're about to throw a big party. That's really what it's saying there. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay. This is their sign of intense grief. And ran out among the people shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. I want us to understand in context what happened here. Okay? This is literally, at this point, Paul and Barnabas, they can do whatever they want. You realize that, right? They just called them the god Zeus and god Hermes. They are about to throw a party in their honor. If Paul and Barnabas wanted a mansion, they would have just asked for it, and the people would be like, okay, we got Zeus and Hermes in our, house, in, our, in our community. This is awesome. Sure, let's do that. Hey, we got, we'd like a million dollars. Sure, sounds good. Let's start gathering it. They could have done whatever they wanted at this point, because they are being worshipped as gods. Everybody's clapping for them. Everybody's honoring them. They're like, wow, you guys are the most awesome thing we've ever seen. You must be gods. How many of you, when you get that opportunity to have accolades poured upon you, uh, immediately go, oh, you know what? No, 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 I'm worthless. I'm sorry. No, please. No, no, no. Give it all back. God is the one. Nope. Please, no, uh-uh, no, thank you. The, a boat? No, I don't want a boat. Absolutely not, no. A house? No, I don't like houses. I'm fine, you know, living over here. It's great, yeah. No, what about a million? No, I don't like a million dollars. No, oh, terrible money. That's where Paul and Barnabas are. They're, they're, shoving, they're like, no, what are you guys doing? We are not gods. There's a living God, and you need to turn to him. They point to Jesus point to Jesus, point to Jesus, point to Jesus. So you might be sitting here asking this question, and if you're not sitting here asking this question, you should be. Uh, How nice is that? And the question is, where is my life pointing? Or maybe you're asking, how do I know if my life is pointing to Jesus? Well, that's a whole nother message, if not a whole nother series. So we don't have time for that, unless you guys want to hang out here until supper. I'm good with that, but I, I doubt that you are. So instead of that, let me give you just one quick illustration that might help lead you to the answer. It may not give you the answer, but it might help lead you there. So here's the illustration. Let's say that I am able to gather your closest family, your closest friends, and in general, just the people that you spend the vast majority of your time with. Okay. Let's say I get them all in the same room. It could be five, could be 10, could be 20, could be 30 people. It doesn't matter. Just all the people that know you best and you know them really well. So people that know you the, the most. Okay. And let's say I gathered all of them in a room and I sat everybody down and I said, hey, So the reason I gathered you all together today is I just have one question for you about your your family member, your good friend. And the question is, what is their life all about? What do they talk about all the time? What are they constantly thinking about? What are they constantly doing? What do they spend the vast majority of their time and resources and energy on? What What is their life about? Where do they point all the time? And my question to you guys is, in that illustration, if you think about the people in your life, just think about them. Just picture them. In fact, close your eyes. I know it's weird. I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm not going to throw anything at you. Just close your eyes. And I want you to picture the people in your life. And I want you to think, if I ask them that question, where does their life point? What are they all about? What would they say? What would their answer be? You can open your eyes. That at least starts you down the road of what your answer is, doesn't it? Whether it's to Jesus or whether it's something else. Last year, 2018, somebody passed away that was very famous all over the world. And it may not be who you think, because this person is definitely famous, but not in the same way that typically people are famous. Uh, This person is simply known as Billy Graham. And uh, when Billy Graham passed away, soon after that, Time Magazine created a special commemorative edition, literally from front cover to back cover. You can see he's on the back, he's on the front, and he's everywhere in between. Literally the whole edition, it's a special commemorative edition, the entire thing was about Billy Graham. The whole magazine. Pretty amazing, by the way. If you want to look it up, dig into it. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to read a paragraph. It's at the very beginning. It's how Time Magazine decided to start their edition. This whole edition that focused on Billy Graham. And uh, as you, a lot of you probably know, he was known as America's preacher. But he was also known worldwide. And I want to read a paragraph about this. And actually, the uh, author of this is writing about Billy Graham's final public service. It's the last one that he was able to do physically. So this is the very last one. It's a, and there's a whole page on this, but I want to just read one paragraph. Says this, says, after nearly an hour of music and other preliminaries, the frail evangelist, talking about Billy Graham, shuffled onto the stage to a standing ovation. Helped by his son, he slowly made his way to the pulpit where he would deliver the same simple message he had preached to more than 215 million people. People in more than 185 countries during more than half of a century. This is the simple message Jesus Christ came to earth, He died on the cross, He rose again, and He calls us to repent of our sins. Simple. Billy Graham, I attest to you, is famous not because of his greatness, but because of his simplicity. I think he was known by this entire planet because his whole life, his words, his message, his actions, everything he did was all about pointing to Jesus. Pointing to Jesus. Pointing to Jesus. Pointing to Jesus. The truth is, you and I are not Billy Graham. I don't know if you noticed that. And I want you to understand, you're not called to be Billy Graham. Neither am I, even though I'm a pastor. I'm not called to be Billy Graham. Neither are you. But can I tell you what we are called? To do? We are called to do what Billy Graham did. And that is, everything that we do in life needs to point not to ourselves, but to Jesus. If we do that, Jesus will be lifted up in a powerful way. So, normally, What we do is we pray, and then we stand up and we sing a great song. We're not going to do that. I know I just wrecked some of your worlds. Kind of like me sitting in a different place. If I'm not sitting right there, you're like, I can't worship because my pastor's in the wrong seat. Just wait. I may end up back by you. We might even have people sitting in the front row because they're avoiding sitting by me. (laughs) It's going to be awesome. let me encourage you to do something this week. Whatever you have planned for this week, ask yourself, how can I use my life to point to Jesus? Because if you're a follower of Christ and you're doing anything less than pointing to Jesus, then you haven't quite gotten to your mission yet. That's true. And I believe, it's even, I don't know if it can be stronger than belief, but it's stronger than belief for me. I I know that God, that Jesus wants to reach people all around this area, and you, each one of you, are a part of that. But in order to do that, you need to point to Jesus so people know who you're about. So this week, can I encourage you? Ask the question on a daily basis. Am I pointing to Jesus? How can I point better? How can I point more consistently? It can be simple. You might even become famous like Billy Graham. And the truth is, Billy Graham would not have been okay being on the front of a magazine yet he knows if it would have exalted Christ he would have been okay and if you look into this you'll see that it does so where's your life pointing let's pray